0: To reach, to eat, to eat, to reach, to eat, 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 to I don't scat, but I do something similar. That's not scatting. Scatting. What a nice art form. From what era? I don't know. People that aren't great with lyrics, but still want to be on stage with a microphone. And there's actually people in an audience who go, man, that was nice. That motherfucker can scat with the best of them. How's your quarantine going? Are you sheltering hard right now in place? Are you sheltering your ass off in place right now? Good for you. Good for you. What are you doing for leisure and recreation? What are you doing? Go on a walk. Go on a walk. Go on a walk. Go on a walk. walk. Gotta do a little more than that. Maybe go on a hike? If you have little kids right now, no park. I didn't think that would be so hard. I figured okay, we can get around that. It's just slides. Just tunnels and swings. But that one's kind of hard. So what we've done going back in time to the days of Huckleberry Finn, we like to find a creek, a babbling brook, and we like to skip some stones. Really? It's a nice activity. It's about as simple as it gets. We're going to skip stones. And you try to hype things up to your little kids. <gasps> you want to go skip stones? <gasps> you want to go skip stones? And then when I get to the creek, I realize I'm still the kid who wants people to watch. Honestly, I still say things like, watch, watch, watch this. Watch how many skips. As if anyone cares. Just skip your stones. I feel the need. I honestly feel the need to say, watch. My little daughter, she can't really say her L's yet. Those are wise. So she says, Yuck. yuk, Yuck. And I go, You look, you look at me, skip a stone. All right, you find the smooth, flat ones. And watch this, watch this, watch, watch. Look, my wife has to deal with this. Grown ass man saying, look, and a little toddler saying, yuck. All right, there's your cuteness right out of the gates. Speaking of cuteness, I got to say it. I don't want to alienate any of you out there who do this on Facebook or social media, but I think I have to. I think I got to air you out for a moment. Dialogue transcribing about your kids on social media. Come on. You know who you are. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but it, it has to end. This is an intervention. It's got to stop. Nobody enjoys your dialogues being transcribed on Facebook. So maybe limit it to one or two a year. Now, who's the problem? I'm the problem because somebody like me should not even be on social media. We all know that. I'm done with Instagram. I've been done with MySpace for many years, still on Twitter, and I check Facebook about once a day. And when I check Facebook, oh boy, people are thirsty. Don't you love that word? That's a new word for the kids. Thirsty. When people are thirsty, doesn't mean they need to drink some water. It means they need attention. They need recognition. They need compliments. I've been nominated for the album challenge here, the top 10 albums that have really impacted me. <sighs> I mean, they take it seriously, and it's fine. I've been nominated for the top movies of my life. Okay, great. Fantastic. And there's like 20 comments. You forgot The Godfather. And then somebody beneath that. The Godfather was overrated. Just great arguments being formed on these Now I've been nominated for a mother challenge. I'll be posting pictures with my kids. I sound bitter. I sound cynical. I'm not. Okay, maybe I am. I don't know. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings right there. If you like to transcribe the dialogue about cute conversations with your kids, that's okay. It's okay. I should probably just accept that. But instead, I feel the need to bring it up right now. Right now. In this very intimate forum. With you, my friends, family, acquaintances, peers, strangers. All of us in this nest of episode 91. Here's how it looks. Me, colon. What are you holding my son, a water balloon, me, I don't think that's a water balloon, son, but it looks like a water balloon, me, shaking my head, son, can I throw it, me, let me see it up close, son, okay, me, (parentheses), realizing it's a condom, son, give it back, me, oh brother. And you're like, I just read through that conversation. Little kid had a condom filled up with water. Okay. Not bad. Daughter. Colon. Mommy, where are babies made? Me. Oh, brother. Daughter. Well, tell me. Me. Shaking my head. Parentheses. Thinking up something. Daughter. Is it the stork? Me. Yes. Daughter. Daughter. Do storks breastfeed from their nipples? <laughs> 70 comments. How cute, how cute, how cute, how cute, how cute, how cute. So precious. My son. Daddy, who's your favorite baseball player? Me. Daryl Strawberry. My son. Colon. Does he taste sweet? Me. Shaking my head. Parentheses. Oh, brother. You're going to notice how many people like to transcribe the dialogue. With their kids. And the truth is, we all think our kids are funny. We do. Just part of the human condition. We get a kick out of our kids. We make the mistake of thinking it translates, though, publicly to the masses. Go ahead. Try to tell a story about a time your little kid made you laugh. You're going to be greeted with silence or fake laughter. Those are the only options. So my daughter, right? Gather around, everybody. Wait till you hear this. My daughter, she wakes up, right? She has crust in her eyes huh? and she she can't see anything. She thinks she's blind. I, I have to explain uh, what eye crust is, is. Is that something else? Is that amazing? Nope. You know, Moshe Kasher, who's a stand-up comedian. I heard him interviewed, I think, on Pete Holmes' podcast. He's married to Natasha Legero, another comedian. And I think Moshe Kasher is smart. I think he's wise, good writer. I read his book. I really don't think he's funny, though, which is weird that he's a stand-up comic because there's a lot about him that I do like. I'd be happy to listen to him. Good podcaster. Really intelligent guy, but his comedy, not funny to me. And he says on the Pete Holmes podcast, you know, our daughter is like genuinely funny. And he's making the point that because I'm a comic and Natasha is a comic, our kid is so funny. And he's like very matter of fact, almost condescending with, we just have a really funny kid, Pete. And I'm like, Moshe, you don't, you don't really have such a funny kid. We all have funny kids when they're one, two, three, four. They're just these little humans doing wacky shit all day. It's very funny. But to the masses? No. There's a very small demographic that's going to enjoy the stories about your kids. Grandparents? Sure. Siblings? Maybe. Cousins? Eh. Aunts and uncles? Kinda. Sure. But it doesn't go beyond that. That's why. Come on. Social media? You're a little thirsty, aren't you? Posting those dialogue conversations with toddlers. Mommy? Colon? Why does Daddy spend so much time on the toilet? Me. Parentheses. Oh, brother. Because he's practicing for his plumbing degree. Daughter. Plumbing? Does that mean we get new plums? To make plum jelly? Me. Colon. Oh, no. Shaking my head. SMH. 70 comments, 100 likes. You got your wish. All right, episode ninety-one. Why is that number special? I'll tell you why. Ninety-one, my friend Travis Leboy, from the old neighborhood. He wore that number his rookie season with the Tennessee Titans. Who is Travis Leboy? A bit of a local legend. And where I'm from, this Terralinda, Lucas Valley, Santa Fe area, not a lot of NFL players coming out of here. Not exactly a hotbed for high school football D1 talent. You get a few stories. Jared Goff is from Novato, the Rams quarterback. There's always a few stories, and everybody loves their own local legends in the sports world. Everybody has stories. But I remember when Travis was drafted in the second round out of Hawaii to Tennessee, going to a game his rookie season in San Diego at Qualcomm Stadium and just seeing him in number 91. And it looked like he belonged there in a way. But also, it was still surreal. I was like, this is my buddy from childhood, and he's just on the sidelines with the Titans wearing 91 during the National Anthem and the flyover. It just became like a dream. Like, this is kind of what happens to some people, but somebody I know. Huh. I remember his mom threw him a party the night before. Rookie season, Titans Chargers. Come celebrate Travis's big game. And uh, he didn't come. A lot of friends showed up, a lot of parents of his friends at some bar in downtown San Diego. And Travis was like, yeah, can't make it. And everyone's like, all right, that's fine. Still time to party. And then seeing him the next day, holy shit, that never got old, seeing him in the NFL. And then when he came to the Chargers, the last team he played with, and I was doing the Chargers postgame show, that was kind of cool that our paths were able to cross once again in life. And I remember being so excited for him. Travis, you're an outside linebacker with the Chargers. How wonderful is this in this beach town? And he said, it's really not shit. By that point, I think he was done caring. Like at some point, it just becomes normal. For Johnny Depp, name anybody who's just doing something that you feel is so exceptional Probably just feels normal to them. I mean, they understand their status, but for Travis, it wasn't like, I am just walking on clouds every day, Josh. I play for the Chargers. To him, it was like, yeah, this is what I do. And it did become normal to hang out with him in San Diego. Occasionally, someone would come up if we were eating dinner, ask for an autograph. But really, it went from amazing, probably, you know, to become a superstar defensive beast at Hawaii. And then play in front of giant stadiums, sacking quarterbacks like Favre and Culpepper to, okay, this is what I do. I go to practice. I eat my meals. I have teammates. I have an agent. I have a contract. It's pretty astounding how things just normalize. Like this pandemic. I hate to say it, but I've adjusted. It felt so foreign at first, right? How are we going to get through this? And I feel like I've adapted. Like now this is what I know. Weird comparison to Travis in the NFL, but it's true. Haven't you kind of adjusted? I know people are truly struggling right now, and many are suffering health-wise, but if you're in the percentage of people that's able to still generate enough income to live your lives, have you adapted to the fact that you just cook a lot, maybe take out here and there, you can't go to parks, you can't travel, you can't hang out with friends, all these things sounded so horrific and unbearable a couple of months ago, and now I'm like, yeah, this is what life is, and it feels normal. Can't believe I'm saying that. But I think I mean it. I think I actually mean it. What's normal recreation now? Go on a run. Wait until somebody tells you there's goats on a hill. I'm not kidding with that one. That's some Huck Finn stuff. Yeah, we skip stones and then we watch the goats on the hill. There's now goats on the hills. They eat the grass. It's called goatscaping. They're calling it goatscaping tonight at 8. A local town releases 800 goats in the name of fire protection. Plus weather with Sheila Costanoyete. You seen weather girls lately? You seen them? Prom dresses, prom hair. Why do they make meteorologists get so done up? Can't they just do it? T-shirt and sweats? Hey, you got some tailwinds coming in. It's going to be rainy next week. No, they make you tell us the weather in prom outfits. Very formal, very formal when it comes to telling us if it's going to be sunny or cloudy. Are you about the goats on the hills? I was waiting for leads. I was waiting for tips. Get a text from a friend. Hey, they're on the corner of Las Raposas. Hey, they're up the hill from Monticello. Just tell everyone in the house, get in the car. Watching the goats. It's amazing how long I could watch a goat eat grass. 25 minutes, no doubt. Maybe 30. I could just watch a goat eat some grass. This is an actual business. I had to look this up. It's an actual business. You can rent a herd of goats. You can rent a thousand goats right now and just say, I want them to mow all the grass on the hill behind my house. And they'll do it in like five hours. I'm Googling this right now. I'm Googling this right now. Ready? Okay. From what is this? The Lake Cone news, Lake County news. Demand for renting grazing goats is a growing business across California and the West with homeowners, golf courses, government agencies, and even some fire departments. Addy, 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 addy. the goats have big appetites they can chomp up to 12 pounds of vegetation per day all while navigating those hard to reach places on a hilly terrain goats consume a wider variety of growth than do cattle which prefer grasses and i don't know that word a herd of 170 goats is recorded as consuming 2,000 pounds of green brush in a single day have you seen this do you think i'm making this up am i hallucinating wouldn't that be weird if i really was hallucinating and then telling you things on a podcast and you're like I don't think that happens yeah I don't know what you're talking about some of you have seen the goats on the hills eating all day right and if you get up close they all have like plastic things stapled to their ears so you know they work for the company these are company goats these are not wild goats stay away there's an electric fence so you can't get too close and they can't get too close but all they do is eat and shit and eat and shit and it's entertaining because nothing else is going on right now I'm in my daughter who's still forming her scope of the world still forming her ideas of the planet. She probably looks at this and goes, hey, yeah, that's normal. So today I had yogurt, played with some Legos, and now we're just, you know, watching 3,000 goats on a hill. Wait, does this exist? Or have I reached that delirious mindset where I now just see things? Like you guys know how when you go to the gas station and it just rains chocolate pudding from the ceiling? You you guys know that's what's been happening. And you're like, I don't, think pudding is coming down from the ceiling what's he talking about and I act like it's just commonplace yeah so you know the pudding drops that are coming from the gas stations these days he's lost it he it's time for an intervention he's done all right I've said this before and I've said it plenty of times but with all the shows being recommended and all the movies being recommended there are way too many nights where I'm just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling giving a show, maybe 10, 15 minutes, giving a movie, maybe 10, 15 minutes, and then giving up and saying, didn't capture me, did not grip me, not feeling it, not into it, same old shit. And in those moments, I look to the Kindle and I say, Kindle, take me into a new world. But really, I have such a narrow amount of interests, especially when it comes to reading sports, comedy, comedy, sports, sports, comedy, comedy, sports. So I wait for the good ones. I wait for the good old fashioned memoir of somebody that was on Saturday Night Live or somebody that played in the majors when I was growing up. And then here's the tell-all book I've been waiting for. And most of them, like I said, are pretty good. I have a much higher batting average with reading than I do watching shows or TV, streaming and movies. But here's the last two books. And this is kind of a heavy point I'm making. I know after all this bullshit to try to settle on some heavy topic to explore, and I'm just exploring it. I don't have the answers. But the last two books I've read are Mike Epps' memoir, Called Unsuccessful Thug, and Tommy Davidson from In Living Color, the comedian whose new book is called Living in Color. Tommy Davidson, I'm about halfway through. Mike Epps, I just finished a few nights ago. Both African American comedians that came from unfortunate situations telling the brutal history of their lives. Now, how do we know them with Tommy Davidson? I say In Living Color, and you go, Oh, yeah, he's funny. Mike Epps, I could say The Next Friday, or he played Black Doug in The Hangover, and you go, Oh, yeah, yeah, he's. Funny, if you like them, but at least you know who I'm talking about. And then you read these memoirs, and they're really well-written because it sounds like their voices, as in it wasn't just like a ghostwriter polishing these books, it kind of just sounds like their voices. And after reading these stories, these are sad, unfortunate stories of the ghetto, of the hood, of rugged situations that are not relatable for me because I was born clearly I was born into a privileged situation. If I was able to go to sleep each and every night with enough food in my stomach to not be hungry and not be worried of bullets whizzing by my home, then boom, just like that. You could say it's a privileged situation. But Mike Epps, reading about this guy's story, one of nine kids in a tiny house, not enough food, no male figure around, school experience being bussed into white neighborhoods where they were called the N-word, getting into so many fights, Gang life being really an only opportunity to have a group of friends or to feel some value or to get some money or to make a day pass by. Everybody in your family, all your neighbors on welfare, just describing what they did on a daily basis, how scary it was. And the way they write these memoirs, it is scary. You actually picture it living in a world where you see your friends die and it becomes normal. Like for me right now, if I had a friend die, it would change my world. It would change my life. For Tommy Davidson and Mike Epps, it happened so often. It was just what life is. And every day you get to keep living and survive. It's a miracle. It makes you an exception. If you could get out of these rugged areas, forgotten America towns, and make a name for yourself, you're one in a million, literally. And then, of course, they talk about their progression of, well, I was funny for these guys. Tommy Davidson, Mike Epps. Well, I was funny. My friends knew I was funny. So there was an open mic at a local bar. I'd go there and realize, oh, I make people laugh. Got an agent. Went to the big city, either New York or L.A. Played the clubs. The meritocracy of, well, they liked me. So I was able to make a name for myself and get discovered here. They all have, you know, great got discovered stories. And then when they talk about the dark underbelly of Hollywood, then it starts to sound sad again. Of what it's like to be a black comedian or a black actor in Hollywood. you got to play this game that probably doesn't apply to how you view the world. I recommend these books if you're into memoirs. But what stayed with me is reading these books. Not like it was fiction, but like I'm in a different America. Like I live in a completely separate America. And there is a sadness. There is a feeling of guilt. Where you go, what am I complaining about? Moshe Kasher actually talks about that. Moshe Kasher on his podcast back in the day called Champs with Neil Brennan, they talked about how our worries, if you're, you know, white person from the suburbs, you might have some dysfunction in your life, but our worries are privileged worries. We get to worry about things that might be totally insignificant to what Tommy Davidson was worried about when he was a kid. I'll just tell you straight up, Tommy Davidson was thrown away by his mother, his birth mother, Put him in a pile of garbage to die when he was two years old. And he was discovered by this white woman, an activist, underneath a pile of garbage. And she saved his life, took him to the hospital, got him healthy, adopted him. And he grew up in a white family. And then his mother returned to a rough area in Washington, D.C. Where, you know, with his white siblings, he always thought, you know, this was normal to have a different color of skin than my siblings and my parents. But then he discovered, oh, wait, I am treated differently in many aspects of society. Oh, I am hated by many people. And he's discovering this as a kid. And of course, that's going to play a role into how you are as an adult, into your insecurities or fears or just views of anybody. Same thing with Mike Epps, just having fear around white people, just knowing that eyeballs were on you. And being worried about how you're being perceived at all times. You can't hide that. As a Jewish guy, you know, I've faced anti-Semitism a few times. But I could walk around any neighborhood and I'm just, you know, a white guy. In a country that's predominantly white. But as they describe being black and just the natural fears of being in any social setting. It was pretty astounding. It was emotional. These are stories that I think we need to understand. Because when I say we need to understand, I guess anybody that's not from a ghetto area would probably be introduced to it what in movies in rap music in a documentary that follows an nba player's life seriously when are the suburban white kids introduced to what a ghetto experience is all about through pop culture the truth is we're not we're not introduced to it we don't know to try to learn about it is nearly impossible what do you drive through east oakland maybe on your way to a raiders a's warriors game Drive through Richmond, you look around and you go, this is different. Yeah, it's very different. I could look at my middle school nowadays and I go, wow, there's a creek, eucalyptus trees. It's beautiful. You hear the birds chirping. Drive through a middle school in Richmond, surrounded with liquor stores and pawn shops, not a lot of grass to run on for recess, blacktop asphalt. It's a different world. It's a different life. There are two Americas. I think it's important for people to learn about all of the many little clusters in this country. In this country, that's not really united. It's funny that that's in the name of our country, United States. Not exactly, pretty divided, pretty segregated still. And both Tommy Davidson and Mike Epps talk about the effects of slavery, still very apparent. So don't read history books and think, well, that was back then. Luckily, it's this way now. No. For these African-Americans coming from low-income situations, inner cities, where they feel like government has given up on them, they probably don't feel like we've advanced so much as a country to integrate and assimilate. Although, you know, you could probably make an argument that it's much better than it's ever been. And that's true, but still a lot of work to be done. And how do I like to learn history? In these memoirs by comedians. So it's good. We got time to read right now. Everybody, everybody, let's start a book club. Everybody, everybody, let's start a book club right here on Here We Go, episode 91. Did it pap pap did a little, diddy, scatting, scatting. The other America that is a little more up close and personal to my eyes, a lot of these English learners, immigrants who have come here for a safer life, for more opportunities, eager to assimilate, eager to learn, yet have this giant language barrier. As a teacher, I see this language barrier and it is discouraging. It's disheartening a lot of the time to see these students who come here and they just would love to know how to speak English. It would change their lives, but it takes a while. And every school district needs to try to figure out how to approach this, what system should be put in place, dual immersion, sheltered. There's endless theories, right? Well, here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to do. Let me just bring one up right now. And I'm going to give credit to my wife who was born in Israel. And I'll end with this because this is a great what if. What if we had a system in place for a lot of these native Spanish speakers who come here and it was similar to the Ulpan Ulpan in Israel, which is intensive, accelerated education in Hebrew, studying the language. Hebrew, you're going to go to Israel? This is mainly for adult immigrants who've gone to Israel and lack the basic language skills for a conversation, writing, comprehension. This idea of Ulpan, which my mother-in-law did. My mother-in-law, American woman, Norwegian roots, goes to Israel, finds her husband. Well, she learned Hebrew through this system and it worked. And I think there's a high success rate. And even in the definition, what's the point of the yulpan To help new citizens become integrated quickly. Let's set up these institutions, these academies, six month crash course, and then bring them onto the campuses. Then it'd be easier to assimilate, less fear. But I love this idea. If we could all commit to that, maybe just in the state of California, and I'm going to bring this up. With my buddy Josh Friday who works for the state of California. I already did. He liked the idea. And why do I bring this up? Because what's happening right now is not working. We're seeing this. With distance learning, how many teachers are able to really connect with their English learners right now? That's such a major crisis. We all know it. It's like the unspoken topic right now. It's hard enough for the kids that are like your Ivy League A student, white suburban achievers. It's actually hard enough for them right now. So you get really worried that there are some forgotten kids right now who don't know how to communicate through this idea of google classroom that's a crisis that goes beyond a pandemic though that's a crisis before and after the pandemic i just think it's time to discuss bigger solutions because the numbers are only going to increase english learners coming here who want to be able to normalize the situation around them it would help what would it take willingness money buy-in from taxpayers what did this turn into by the way i don't know is my political rant. Am I running for office? Maybe. The announcement could be in episode 92. What am I running for? Lead scatter. Chief scatter of San Rafael. You kind of need one. I think I'm just going to scat out of this podcast. But I love you all. I appreciate you tuning in. Drop a rating onto iTunes if you want, if you can. If you're interested in doing that. And if not, totally fine. It's a free country. Our Divided States of America free country for some that's episode 91 the Travis Leboy episode it's in the books I'll talk to you soon